Good morning. Reading today are selections from Exodus 25, 1 through 27 and 21. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplates. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Then put the ark of the tablets of the covenant law in it, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Make a table out of acacia wood, two cubits long and a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft, and make its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. On the lampstand, there will be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. Then make its seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant Law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant Law in the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite on the south side. Build an ark, an altar of acacia wood three cubits high. It is to be square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar are of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. Make all its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes, its shovels, 
sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. Make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be a hundred cubits long and is to have curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The north side shall also be a hundred cubits long and is to have curtains with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The west side of the courtyard shall be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 cubits and 10 bases. On the east end, toward the sunrise, the courtyard shall also be 50 cubits wide. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Marie. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are here among us. I pray that you would help us to be curious about these words that meant so much to the people of Israel. Help us to understand how they point to Jesus and uh, to know how to meet with you and where you dwell uh, today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Believe it or not, that was probably... 20% of the total amount of verses of chapters 20 through 27, 25 through 27. So you're welcome that I did not have the entire section read, but I would encourage you to read it on your own sometime because there's some cool details in there that we're not going to be able to get to this morning. So when I was in seminary, um, I spent a lot of time trying to learn answers to complicated questions like, what are the differences between premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism? And if you don't know what any of those mean, that's fine. <laughs> or what are the main theological um, uh, goals of, the, of Luke as he wrote the book of Acts? You know, all these fairly complex questions. But I've found that sometimes the simplest questions about God are the most important. And the question we're going to talk about today is, where is God? Where is God? The way you answer that question um, has some pretty big impacts on the way you live your life. How you pray, what you do, how you imagine God, how you invite people to come near to God. If we don't know where he is, um, how will we do those things? I find there's a lot of confusion about that simple question even among Christians, um, you may say, well, God is in heaven, and that's true. But if you think of God as being just in heaven, that seems like he's really far away, and we have to kind of wave and shout and get his attention for him to show up in our lives. Some people say, well, God is within me. Well, then that turns into a very personal sort of um, self-centered faith because I don't need other people. I have God in me. Or some people say God is in nature. So I like to go out in the woods and that's where I find God. That's where I commune with him. That may be true. But the problem with that is if God is everywhere and anywhere, he's sort of nowhere, right? And 
What about the church? What about God's revealed word? So where is God? Sometimes the answer to that question can be very important. Uh, Sometimes you may ask that question in a place of pain, desperation. God, where are you? How can I feel your presence? Maybe some of you are asking that today. So we're going to talk about how Israel answered that question, or rather how God answered it for them, and then how it translates into us here and now. So if you were among the people of Israel on the way to the promised land as they were in Exodus, the answer to the question, where is God, is a tent. If that sounds strange to you, then you're on the right track, okay? This tent is called the tabernacle, and it, it's also just called a tent. It wasn't, um, the, the word is not something special. It's God's dwelling place, but it's called a tabernacle or a tent. Now, in these chapters of Exodus, Moses gives, God gives Moses chapter after chapter of detailed schematics and instructions and blueprints for this tabernacle and the courtyard and everything that will be inside it and it can seem pretty tedious and irrelevant to us right i mean none of you came here today because you really wanted to know how many cubits wide was the courtyard right and and what was the lampstand made out of those aren't burning questions in our minds but they were very important questions for israel Because all of these details communicated something about the way God was with his people and where he dwelled with his people. So this morning, we're going to take a tour, so to speak, of the tabernacle and its furnishings. And believe it or not, that will help us understand better where God is now. So you ready? Starting in chapter 25, before we step inside the tabernacle itself, inside the courtyard even, we need to stop and appreciate the big picture of what God is doing here. That's found in the beginning of chapter 25. So you heard it read, God commanded Moses to receive a collection, receive an offering from his people. Not money, but of uh, precious materials, building materials, oil, yarn, gold, silver, bronze, wood, things that would be used to construct this dwelling place. And then he says in verse 8, Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Circle those words, sanctuary and dwell. It's really, really important. So sanctuary means a sacred place or a holy space. That is where God will dwell or be with, live with his people. So here's, here's what's happening. Remember Mount Sinai with the fire on the top? That was God's presence. God is now, as it were, descending from the mountain to be right in the middle of his people, right in the middle of their camp. He's going to have his own tent with all of the other tents in the camp. 
Can you imagine being an Israelite and walking around your camp and say, seeing this tabernacle and saying, oh yeah, that's, that's where God is, right there. <laughs> that's God's tent. Pretty incredible. And it was, you know, it was made with beautiful, um, colorful yarns and fabrics and it had gold and it glittered in the sun. It was in some ways the most beautiful thing in their lives and in their camp. And yet it was just another tent right there next to their tents. It was God's tent, God's sanctuary, God's dwelling place. And that was always the goal of this whole salvation project. The climax or the, the high point of the story is not the crossing of the Red Sea as we make it out to be in the children's Bibles. That's very important, but it wasn't the climax. The climax is not Mount Sinai and God giving the law to his people. The climax is God dwelling with his people. God being with them. That was the reason he saved them. Not just to free them from slavery, but so that he could dwell with them. So he could be close to them. And they could be close to him. And one of the reasons we know this is the, the high point and the focus of the book is because there are 13 chapters of Exodus dedicated to the tabernacle, its furnishings, the priesthood, and everything surrounding what it took for God to be with his people. So this is the big picture. God wants to dwell with his people, and in order for that to happen, he commands them to create a holy space called a tabernacle. Everything, the tent and everything in it are portable, meaning God will travel with them wherever they go. A portable temple. Later in Israel's history, the tabernacle would be replaced by the actual temple in Jerusalem. The same relative architecture and geometry, just in a, in a stone-fixed temple. Okay, so now we can, we can step inside the courtyard and begin noticing some things. The courtyard itself... Um, is about half the length of a football field and, and about half the width. Um, a big rectangle made of um, curtains hung on wooden frames, about seven feet tall. So if you were up on a, a little rise, you could see down into the tabernacle, into the courtyard, that is. Um, and if you were an Israelite coming to present a sacrifice, an animal for offering, you would co go through this huge purple and blue and red curtain doorway into the courtyard of this tabernacle. And there, the first thing you would see is the altar. The big square, like a fire pit, covered with bronze, with uh, grating in it for coals. And this is where the priests would take your sacrificial animal and slaughter it and either cook it and then share the meat with you and your family or burn the whole thing up as an offering to God. This was a way both to atone for sin for some offerings and other offerings just to say thank you and to praise God. So that altar was a very important part of Israelite life. Now if you continue beyond that, you have the, the basin for the priests to wash their hands and their feet <clears throat> as we saw and that's not covered in this section. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right past that is the tent itself, 
the tabernacle. And you would enter through a, another huge curtain made with these beautiful, brilliant colors, purple and blue and deep red and gold embroidery of cherubim. I mean, think, if all you saw around you was, was brown, dusty hills and grayish, white sheep's wool and uh, the blue sky, this was like an amazing spot of color in your life. And so you go through this, this tent flap, this door to the, inside the tabernacle, and once inside, it's pretty dark because all the only source of light, as you saw in the video, was the, the lampstand. Now, this lampstand was made out of pure gold, and the text makes it clear that the, the cups themselves, seven cups for olive oil, were shaped like almond blossoms. Now, almond, the almond tree was the first tree in the agricultural year to blossom. It was always a sign of new life. And from this new life, so to speak, there was light. There was fire and brilliance. So this lampstand showed both the life and the light that God gave his people. Across from that lampstand is a table about the size of this table down here. On it were 12 loaves of bread. This was not seen as food for God, but rather God's invitation for us to be at table with him, saying, come into my presence. Every week, those loaves would be eaten by the priests on duty and replenished with fresh bread. So you had this perpetual symbol of God laying a table for his people. Now, as we turn from the table to look toward the end, the very far end of the tent, Right now, you're in the place called the holy place. And then through another curtain, which you wouldn't be allowed to go in. Actually, even the holy place, you'd have to be a priest. But through that second curtain was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that is where only once a year the high priest could enter. And to be in the very focal point of God's presence with his people. Now, you saw that... Inside the holy place, the most holy place, is the Ark of the Covenant. Ark just means chest or box. And it was this gold box, again about the size of this table, covered with gold leaf, inside and out. Inside the box were the, the stone tablets that God himself had inscribed the Ten Commandments upon. And on top of the box was a lid called the Atonement Cover, now, this, this lid was important for two reasons. First, because that was where the high priest sprinkled the blood every year in the Day of Atonement to cleanse all the people's sin for the year. And secondly, because on top of that lid were two cherubim with their wings outstretched, and God said, listen to what he says in chapter 25, verse 22. There above the cover, between the two cherubim over, that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So this is the focal point of God's presence. 
When Moses comes into the tent and sits there, that's where God meets with him and, and speaks God's words to him. Out of the box that contains the law, the written word, God speaks his word to Moses. Later, Israelites talked about that ark as like the throne of God on earth, where God the king would speak to his people and give them his word. Now, God wanted to be with his people. The tabernacle and everything inside it was God's way of allowing that to happen. And at the end of the book of Exodus, which we'll get to in a few weeks, several weeks, something very dramatic happened. After the tabernacle had been built all to spec and the priesthood had been established, the priests had been consecrated and the, the tabernacle itself had been sprinkled with blood, consecrated, God showed up and kept his end of the bargain and descended on the tabernacle in this pillar of cloud so thick and bright that that the people couldn't even look at it, and Moses could not even enter the tabernacle for a while. So this really was God's dwelling place with his people, the, the place where heaven and earth come together, the place where God meets with his people. That's why this was such a big deal for Israel. So what about now? How does it help us to know all that? Besides maybe getting uh, more points in a Bible trivia game, who cares? How does it help us to know where God met with Israel? And here's why. Um, you couldn't go to Israel today and find a tabernacle. You can't even find the temple. You can find where it was. It's been destroyed. There is no longer any physical place that God dwells, that he, God meets with his people. Because the answer to the question, where is God, has changed. Um, God's desire is still the same. He still wants to be with his people. But how he does that <clears throat> has changed pretty dramatically. Excuse me. <clears throat> so there are actually two answers to this question. The first answer is Jesus Christ. The tabernacle and all of its furnishings and uh, accessories all point to Jesus. They are a direct line to him. I like to imagine, you know, Jesus as maybe a 15-year-old young man reading these very same words in Hebrew, reading them, and beginning to understand, these details are talking about me. <laughs> They're talking about my mission, my body, my uh, purpose in this world, who I am. The later apostles who wrote the New Testament certainly understood this. I mean, Paul talks about how the, the tabernacle and the whole system was a shadow of Jesus. As if Jesus was standing, casting his shadow back over the Old Testament. And so he followed the tabernacle to Jesus. The book of Hebrews, read the book of Hebrews if you haven't lately. 
It talks all about how the tabernacle and the temple, how Jesus is the true and better version of all of these things. So let me give you just three examples. Well, let me give you four. The big one is this. In the Gospel of John, John says, The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We read this every Christmas Eve here. There are many ways that John could have said Jesus came to live with us, but do you know what he said literally in Greek? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He chose that word that was translated from this passage in Exodus. Jesus tabernacled among us. In other words, Jesus himself is the place where heaven and earth meet. He is the dwelling place of God. He is the meeting place between God and his people. And everything that Jesus did fulfilled some part of the tabernacle and temple systems. So three examples of that. The lampstand, right? Remember it was the source of both light and life. It was supposed to remind people of life and light. Light and life, life and light. Well, what did John say? The light, uh, rather, in him was light, and that light was the life of all mankind. John 1.4. Jesus himself later said, I am the light of the world. He's the one that, that gives true light. What about the table with the bread on it? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the one who feeds you, who nourishes you with, with what you need. You can be sustained and nourished in me. I lay a table before you and welcome you in to God's life. The lampstand, the table, and third, the ark. The ark had the atonement cover that was sprinkled with blood. Well, Hebrews says that Jesus sprinkled his own blood on the true atonement cover in heaven, so to speak, to fully cover our sins, past, present, and future, for all who believe in him. It doesn't have to be repeated every year by a priest. It's not the blood of a goat or a bull. It's the blood of the Son of God before God in heaven to atone for our sin. And finally, how the, inside the ark there were the tablets of the law, and from that place God spoke to his people Jesus is the word of God embodied, the law of God fulfilled. Jesus' words are God's words to us. He speaks to us. So where is God? God is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the place where heaven and earth meet. He is the place where God dwells. And here's what that means for us. There are no more sacred spaces. You know, we call, some people call this room of the church the sanctuary. And I sort of chafe against that because it gives the impression that this is some holy building where God dwells. And that's not true. This church, or even the greatest cathedral you could imagine, are not sacred buildings. God does not live in a church. You will not be closer to God 
because you are near a church building. Okay? There are no more shrines or sacred pieces of earth where you go to meet with God. You know, uh, about a month ago, we've talked about this, the, something very exciting was happening at a college in Kentucky. Um, they ca- they're calling it the Asbury Revival. And basically, um, a chapel service started at this Christian college, a routine Wednesday morning chapel service started, and it never stopped. People just stayed and worshipped and prayed and read God's word, and it grew and grew and grew. And eventually, after you know, four days of this, people were traveling there from all over the country to get a taste of what God was doing. Because something special was happening. You could sense the presence of God in that place. One woman I saw was interviewed while sitting in the, the chapel there, and she said something like this. She said, I just think this room has been it just saturated with the presence of God after all these years of prayer and praise and reading God's word. This, the walls are just soaked with the presence of God. And I had to scratch my head and think, I don't think that's true. <laughs> this building does not house the presence of God. What she was experiencing was God's presence through his people. And that's the second answer to the question, where is God? In Jesus, yes. But where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? The answer to that question is sitting to your right and to your left and in front of you and behind you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple? You, plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. See, something amazing happened when Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit. Every single Christian became a tabernacle, a temple of the living God. And in a very special way, when the church gathers, that is God's dwelling place with his people. We have the word of God. We have the presence of God. We have the grace of God through what Jesus did. We are the dwelling place of God. In Acts chapter 2, when, when God poured out the Holy Spirit on his people and all the Christians that were assembled in Jerusalem, do you remember what it says uh, was seen residing above each of the believers? A little flame, a little pillar of fire, so to speak. Just like how God... Uh, On the tabernacle in the wilderness, during the day there was a pillar of smoke and at night a pillar of fire, showing that this truly was where heaven and earth were linked. God's presence dwelled. And so God's presence through the Holy Spirit lives in, dwells in us. And this is not some, should be not some individualistic thing like, oh, therefore, I don't need to, uh, you know, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with other people because I have God's presence. But we together 
Paul says, are a temple in which God's spirit dwells. The true presence of God is now expanded and exploded all over this world from, from going from a, a tabernacle, a little tent, to Jesus Christ and now to all of the people of Jesus Christ. God was never contained in that tent, right? God filled all creation. We don't contain God, but we are the meeting place between God and people, between heaven and earth. And so I'm going to leave you with two just simple things to do based on that. The first is, if you want to be near God, be near God's people. Don't isolate yourself. Don't think, uh, I can handle this on my own, or I'm going to go and experience God um, with, without anyone else. I'm just going to seek God privately. We need each other. We need the church. The church is where God's presence dwells. Second, the church has a holy mission. And when non-believers are looking for the presence of God, hopefully they should find that in us, in the church. Hopefully they should be able to walk in these doors on a Sunday morning or walk into your home where there's a gathering happening or walk into a group of Christians on their lunch break at work and think, oh, God's word is here. God's grace is here. God's presence is here. And they should feel like they're in a temple of the living God. So Lord, may you help us to find you in one another and to invite people who don't know you into your presence uh, in the way we live and conduct ourselves, uh, in the way that we represent you in this world. Empower us by your Holy Spirit uh, to be truly the place where you dwell. We know that the Bible also tells us, Lord, you tell us in your word that because we are a temple of the Lord, we, we need to think carefully about how we use our bodies and what we do with our lives. Help us to be pure and holy temples of God. And it's only through your grace that that happens. So we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.